You're listening to Asking for a Friend with therapist Stephen Ng. It's a conversation about human sexuality and how to approach it with intelligence, understanding, and compassion. Hi, you're listening to Asking for a Friend with Stephen Ng, and I'm talking to my friend Jackie, who's the one who usually has the friends who are asking questions. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. I understand we're here to talk again about sex. We are here to talk about sex. Well, kind of. Sort of. Sort of. Um, we talk about on this show, uh, we talk about consent a lot. And you've, you've referenced consent by Braille, where it's the touching method rather than asking. Rather than using your words. Rather than using your words. And, but you use the phrase by mutual consent enough that we're actually going to put it on a T-shirt. That's right. That's right. A lot of, because a lot of people really don't have that notion as a working part of their vocabulary. You know, so much of what I do, and I think what a lot of counselors do, is we bend over backwards to try to make a message understandable. But in doing so, we use, as we should, everyday common words. And so sometimes the truth becomes rather underwhelming. And this is an example of that. I think sometimes when we throw around a term like uh, mutual consent, people end up sort of going to that as a default reality as if that's the norm, when in fact, that's hardly ever the norm for people who are having sex and having sexual contacts. By mutual consent? Yeah. So in your mind, what does it mean? What does it mean for that in in a sexual relationship? Well, first of all, let's say, let's agree with everybody. I hope that sexual relationships don't start with sex. Uh, a sexual relationship can start, uh, and by sexual, I mean, it's isn't it sexual when a 10-year-old takes the hand of another 10-year-old he has a crush on? Isn't that a sexual moment? I guess. Okay. Okay, it's, it's romantic. Well, it's romantic, but it's also sexual in the sense he would never do that as a heterosexual boy with another boy in the same way. Okay. So it's, you know, when, when parents start talking to their children about sex or when we all start talking with each other as adults, we don't need to start with intercourse. And, and in a sense, it's almost sort of presumptuous and it gets us way out ahead of ourselves. So to be, ever, to be ascertaining whether or not we have consent, we might want to start off with first, hey, you know, I'm interested in getting to know you better. Would it be okay if we met for lunch? You say yes. Then when we're having lunch, I say, well, as we're getting to know each other, on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to physical affection, I am definitely an 8. And you might say, gosh, 8? That's great. I've never met a man who was an 8. I've only dated guys who were like 2s and 3s. I'm an 8 myself. So we're making disclosures and we're getting to know each other. And that is really of a sexual nature. So, you know, part of the scariness of sex and asking for consent is thinking that it has to, we have to wait until we're at the very precipice of penetration before consent is a conversational topic that's appropriate. Okay. And, and so talking about, well, if we're dating now, you know, maybe I've given you our first kiss and or 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 asked if I could give you a kiss, you said yes. And then we start talking about, so you're the kind of person to be comfortable with my giving you a kiss? And then you would maybe give me your parameters. Uh, yeah, but not at, when I'm at work or not in public, I don't like that, or I'm not really comfortable with that in front of my family. And whatever those parameters are, I get to agree or disagree or to say, no, I've got a problem with that, or yeah, that's no problem. 
And so but we're, we're dealing with consent without actually even using the word consent. And it's part of getting to know each other, but it's also the deal we make. It's a deal between the two of us that th these are the agreed upon rules. And that so long as we follow these rules, we're, we're on firm ground. And then we start getting into actual intercourse and, well, well, let's say anything under the clothes, whether it's fondling or what was your favorite? Hand jobs or something like intercourse. Uh, and I don't know how many things like intercourse there are out there, but let's, you know, anything like that, I think, deserves a little more conversation. And so using my words, again, to talk about that. And I don't, th I don't think, I think everybody likes the idea of consent, but I think people haven't had those conversations or seen them modeled, and they have no idea where to begin. So it's kind of a fun thing to just talk about. Well, and we've talked about this before, too. I, I have thought it was incredibly romantic when, um, you know, when a man says, may I kiss you, even if we've kissed a thousand times before. Right. You know, sometimes it's nice. And obviously the consent is implied there, but it's just a nice... Well, it is, and it's it's so intentional, and it's it's different, and it's out of the norm. It's like lighting a candle at the table. You know, anything that's different calls attention to itself. And I, I rather like the idea, too. I mean, I don't think it's just from men to women. I think it's rather pleasing either way. Sure. Yeah. So for this conversation, um, I think we've made it clear what it means in a sexual or romantic relationship, what mutual consent means. But you take it further. Yeah, I do, because, you know, conflict is an essential and inevitable part of every intimate relationship. Not everybody likes to embrace that truth because we're all, you know, I, re I remember in my dating days, women would say, but I never would want to fight with you. Um, the problem with that is if we never learn how to fight with each other and whether or not we can fight effectively, we don't know if we're ever going to be able to be an effective couple who can solve problems that would otherwise keep us apart. So in that conflict, if conflict is inevitable, uh, should it just be a no-holds-barred, um, law-of-the-jungle sort of an experience where might makes right? And, and you can say whatever you want, no matter how hurtful, no matter how yes, exactly. long-term damaging. Right. I can say whatever I want. Well, No. And so then we start coming up with rules. Even boxers have rules for how they fight. And uh, we could come up with some rules. And for me, uh, the idea that we would fight by mutual consent is one of the three most important rules I think any couple could embrace. What an interesting idea. So we're going to fight by mutual consent. Yes. So uh, the alternative would be uh, what I call a drive-by uh, fight where you have your hand on the doorknob, you're ready to go out the door because you're five minutes late getting to work. And I say, I need to talk to you about this. And I, I, I can I wait? I'm, I'm on my way to work. No, we need to have a fight. We need to have a discussion. We about need to this. have a fight right now. Yes. And that's not fair to, to people. You know, what's really not fair about it is if you believe in commitment and if you love your relationship, you really want to set things up so that we can both give our full and best undivided attention to the problems that are besetting us. So are you saying, well, I don't have time to fight with you right now, but I will fight with you at 4.30 this afternoon? Yeah. Or you could even say, I really don't have time for this right now. What about this weekend? 
I'm going to be busy all week, and I'd really like to give this the attention it deserves. How about after breakfast on Saturday? And, and if I don't like that, I can say so, but again, we have to defer if we're living by that rule. I can say, I don't like putting this off, but I'll wait and we'll talk about when we're going to talk later. So mm. that sounds nice. It is really nice. But is it is, is it realistic? Is that realistic? It is not realistic at all if you are married to a child who is weak and stupid. <laughs> but if you are partnered up with somebody who has the ability, like an adult, to defer gratification... And you know that there are no fights that you're having that are worth a 911 call, that everything everything has um, no emergent quality to it, like at, at the emergency room. It's something that really what part of the brain do we want to use? The amygdala that senses um, danger and engages in fight or flight responses or the prefrontal cortex? Well, of course, we want to use the smart part of the brain. And so... A fight between me and a loved one, this is going to sound really dry, but a fight between me and a loved one is much more like a spirited meeting of the board uh, of a major corporation than it is like a boxing match. So I, I, a couple of questions yes. about your theory. Um, <laughs> I could see somebody who wants to avoid conflict at all costs just I'm too busy. We can't ever have this conversation and just always having reasons to put it off. Right. And the other side of that is the person who's upset getting madder and madder and madder because, I mean, something that could have been resolved with a very simple conversation, but because it's being put off, maybe it becomes worse. Okay, so let's take those one at a time. Which okay. one do you want to work with first? First, um, let's go with the person who's avoidant. The right? person who's avoiding the conflict. Okay, so uh, hopefully uh, everyone out there has listened to every single one of my podcasts before <laughs> they ever make any relationship decisions. Well, but for that those, seems obvious. But, yeah, but for those who haven't, um, before we do get partnered up with somebody in a committed relationship, we're supposed to perform an intentional interview. And part of the that interview, and it's not a one-time conversation, but a a series of conversations, is qualifying qualifying them for how, their willingness to engage in conflict and to be able to do it in an abuse-free manner. So I want to know if, A, she has the savoir-faire to have an argument with me in an abuse-free manner, and B, does she have the courage to confront me when she has a problem with me? So I want both. The idea that somebody is conflict-avoidant uh, that's pretty much a deal breaker, I think, that's universal for all of us in the sense that there's no mechanism then to solve conflicts that are holding us apart from one another. And obviously we're going to have conflicts. Well, I mean, I mean you're, you're dating somebody who is their own unique person with their own unique Yeah, how could it be any other ways? Yeah. You know, because even with our friends, we have fights. Even with our closest coworkers, we might have disagreements. And, and like a fight at work, a fight with my spouse really doesn't need to be personal. I like to encourage my clients to think of a, a sacred bubble around the two of them and that they, their problems, are they all lie outside of that bubble. And within that bubble, she and I, we continue to be a loving, close couple. 
But that problem that is outside of us, it is bedeviling um, the lines of production in our corporation. And in our corporation, the only thing we're trying to produce is additional happiness. So if we, <laughs> if we can't agree to fight civilly, and, and, and there's still plenty of room there for passion and for sounding angry and for getting upset and for crying and, and all of that, and for feeling irritated with one another. There's plenty of room for all of that, but we still have a requirement to seek mutual consent before we engage in all of that. Well, and something you had said a while ago um, that really stuck with me is you're, you're arguing, but you're on the same team. Yeah. So the goal is not to win at all costs. At all costs. I must destroy you in order to win. I have if, how can I make you cry? Right. I have to treat you that badly that you'll get off my back. And, and that's, that's another tactic of the person who doesn't want to have a fight, right, is that they overreact. And in that excessive emotional reactivity, what they're basically saying is, I just want you to shut up and go away and leave me alone. Now, on the other hand, you brought up the person who, you know, really lacks that that ability, it seems, in the moment to defer gratification until later when we both have a convenient time to sit down and really think and truly be present with each other. And we're not too hungry and we're not too tired to think straight. And as and then uh, it, it sort of takes the oomph out of some of these passionate fights. If I have to wait two days to talk to you about something that's really bugging me right now, in two days I'm really not that bugged. And really, did I need to have a fight about something that really wasn't that important to me? Uh, sometimes the answer is yes, because it's an ongoing irritant. Like you never put the toothpaste cap on the toothpaste. If it's one of those things... I might be really irritated on a given day that I just smeared toothpaste all over myself. But if I, but on, on Saturday, after we've had breakfast, I'm going to be much more easygoing about it and say, well, so what? Do I need to get my own toothpaste and the separate drawers? You know, because I'm willing to do that. If the, We get to think outside of the box and we get to be our most creative when we are most at ease. And so one of the things I, you know, I, I am not conflict avoidant, um, but one of the reasons I've realized is because I get an idea in my head and it will swirl around and around and around. And if I don't deal with it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Whereas if I say to you, hey, this thing that you've been doing is, is really bothering me and I'd like to have that conversation because once I say it, once we talk about it, then it's, it's better. It's on the table. It's on the table and it's and it's dealt with and it Well, and if and if it was me and I was doing one of those I'm on my way to a meeting I got to go, I would say I love getting together for that. Let's do it this weekend. Let's or let's do it um tonight. Tonight unless I get home late, right? That's the other issue. Right. So whatever the schedule is that's convenient and it really Here's what I can promise every single person listening to this. If you're listening to this thinking this is simply not realistic, I ask you to just try it for 30 days. Talk to your spouse. See if you can try it for 30 days and see if it doesn't make your relationship so much better and your arguments so much more effective. Because I think once you've put it on the table, as long as you're honorable about keeping your word with the appointment— 
And you're not going to try to pretend that that appointment time never was set. Like, when I get home from work, after I have dinner with you, let's sit down and talk about this. And you say, great. Well, for me to come home and act all huffy because you still want to talk about it, that's a bait and switch. And that's just not right. That's not fair. Well, and I'm also assuming that you don't have to make appointments for every single thing that I mean, everything you disagree about. Oh, well, you know, honestly, I do. And with my spouse, but I, I, often it's not necessary because I'll say, hey, I have a bone to pick with you. Is now a good time? And nowadays, 90, 95% of the time, and I know it's not very often, but when it does, when there is a problem, yeah, now's a good time. So it's really not, but it has to still be by consent because what if one of us is in the very middle of a, a very important thought or a project and we need to take care of something else that is literally more important? Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if I can have confidence that you're there for me, if I can have confidence that my mate is not being avoidant and really means to resolve these problems, then by mutual consent is actually very liberating because now I know when we're fighting, you really want to be there. So we've got about five minutes left. Um, I know you have other rules. And again, this is these are things that the two people have agreed to, but um, other rules about fighting. Yeah, but I don't give that stuff out for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one of them that you, you talk about that I really like, and, and I, I'm going to guess probably women are more guilty of this in general, is um, sticking to one topic. You know, I don't know if there's a gender difference there because I, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know. I only have dated women in my lifetime, only married women in my lifetime. So I have a natural tendency to think, well, women do this. But then when I talk to women, of course, their language mirrors my own and it's only men who do this. Right. So who's to say? I know that I have uh, been avoidant of fighting. I know that I have done my share of drive-by fighting uh, engagements. I've also been that guy who brought up multiple subjects. And I think the science on this is really clear. Although we like to think better of ourselves, the truth is none of us effectively multitask. So accepting humbly our limitations and understanding that we can really only work on one problem at a time, uh, especially complicated relational problems, I think is just a kindness to everybody. And again, it, it like that like that rule about by mutual consent, any one subject simply means I'm willing to talk about anything in this relationship, but please only one thing at a time because I really want to give it, you know, that problem you're having with me or with life, or with the children, or with money. I want to give that problem my full and undivided attention. And I want to get back on track with our relationship being the absolute happiest it can possibly be. So if, you're, if your complaint is about the toothpaste and the, <laughs> the toothpaste mess, for example, and that leads to the fact that you're always messy everywhere. Right, right. Right. So, so <laughs> is that the same subject? No. It's really not the same subject. And, you know, I, I have strong views on a lot of, um, I suppose, bigger issues that are more uh, sweeping in their importance to others. 
you know, like abortion and birth control and uh, marriage equality and things like that. But when we talk about any of these subjects, there there is a common denominator. No one counselor, no one legislator, no one preacher, no one parent has knowledge of the vast variables that all the individuals involved are facing. So the toothpaste thing may be the last straw after a series of other things I never did complain about. So I don't need to really talk about the toothpaste. What I really need to talk about is I'm having a problem because on a scale of neatness and tidiness, I'm a seven and you, God help me, you are a two (laughs) at best. And if that's the way that it is, um, to is there is there any conceivable way? Yes, we can put people on the moon, but can can we solve this problem of how these two people who are disparate in this one way can they live together happily and safely under one roof? And for ineffective couples, sometimes the answer is absolutely not. They just can't figure it out, and it doesn't get any better when they are yelling and screaming at each other and calling each other names. But the problem is actually pretty simple. What do we need to do so that we can both feel comfortable and this can work for both of us? So what's the takeaway from this? What's one line that, that people can get from this conversation about? Well, first of all, I think that, you know, something we didn't even talk about, and that would be if you haven't already developed some rules for fighting in your relationship or in your life with people with whom you're in a relationship, you need to start thinking about that. I recommend those three rules by mutual consent, any one subject, and one we didn't talk about today, no abuse. If those three rules don't work for you, please replace them with something that works better and then write me immediately so I can rip you off from my next book and, <laughs> and put those ideas out there for other people because we know, we all need rules to live together in a civilized way and the rules have to be easily remembered and actually doable in order for them to be effective. Great. Um, so if you have, if you want to write to us, we, we would love to know what your rules are for fighting, for effective fighting. Um, you can tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT. If you have questions about a certain podcast, same thing. Just go ahead and tweet us at Stephen Ng MFT, and you can be my friend that day, and we'll, we'll bring up and I will ask for you. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Stephen. You're very welcome. Good talking to you, Jackie. You too.